Hey y'all, I've been working on this pet project of mine for a few months now, and since unfortunately I won't be able to talk about it at FOSDEM because my lightning talk proposal there was rejected, I thought I'd share a quick video instead of on how it's supposed to work. So basically I'll share some details about how the project was born, the, the kind of structure that I wanted the project to have. But rather than focusing too much on the slides, the idea is also to have a look at, at the code a bit so that I'll show you the demo in action, so the things that you can do with the current version, and then also have a quick look at how things are actually implemented by looking at the Lua scripts, what powers what, these sort of things. And the main idea is to basically show how things are currently working so that I can gather some feedback to improve things or possibly also add some other things later on. So first of all, let's have a look at some quick slides. As I mentioned, I won't delve too much in detail about this, but I, I think they can give some structure to this short video. And the project that I'm talking about is called Kyavak, which, which stands for Kyavak is an adventure video game creator. So I actually wanted to, to try and create a, a quick engine and a short engine to basically implement point and click adventure games like the ones that we've been in love for so many years. The main problem is that uh, I, I am not a video game developer at all. So basically this is really my first attempt to try something that is video game related. My, my actual main focus is I am a programmer, but I work a lot with WebRTC and specifically I'm the main author of a WebRTC server there called Janus. And these are the contacts if you want to get in touch with me. So there's my email address, but also my Mastodon address, which is where I'm mostly active uh, when it comes to, uh, to social networking. And of course, as you can assume from this presentation, I'm really very much in love with point-and-click adventure games. So it all started, as, as it happened for most of us, with the first Monkey Island game, which a friend of mine showed me uh, on, an, on the Amiga that he had at the time. And I really fell in love with the genre. I've been playing a lot of these games all over the years, and I still do. And of course, I'm very much uh, oriented towards LucasArts kind of games because that's where I started, but I actually played a lot of games from different producers as well. For instance, Flight of the Amazon Queen is one of my favorite games uh, of all times. And of course, since the very beginning, I was very much interested in how actually things work. So if you wanted to write a game, uh, write a game like this, how do you actually do it? So in a nutshell, how is the sausage made in practice? And basically, it turned out that when you start looking at it, most of them uh, actually do use some sort of an engine, which means that you have some low-level low code that is actually taking care of all the heavy lifting, so all the rendering, uh, showing things on the screen, playing music, and so on and so forth. But there's actually something else that is responsible of the game logic, so what to show when, these sort of things, or maybe uh, show this island right now, now put, these, uh, put the main characters in this room instead, these sort of things. And it's basically a very clever way when you think about it of reusing as much, as much as possible of the same code that you already have to then write multiple games. Because if you have, uh, let's say, a specific engine, then you can reuse that engine and so the ones that is responsible of the heavy lifting stuff. But then you may be providing different assets, so different backgrounds, different animations for the main characters, different logic for what they're supposed to do. And with the same engine, you're able to basically create different games. And this, of course, doesn't only help with faster development, because, of course, you don't have to recreate a lot of code from the scratch. You just have to, to work on the assets and the logic. 
uh, but it also helps a lot with basically being able to target different platforms at the same time because it means that uh, especially at the time when you had uh, Amiga and PCs and other platforms even Commodore 64 or MSX these sort of machines uh, if you had uh, the specific engine on the different machines then you only had to implement the game logic once uh, and apart from maybe a few minor tweaks the game logic and the assets had only to be done let's say once or maybe twice and then uh, it was all on the shoulder of the engine to make it possible to run on these different platforms of course and as you can assume considering that there were so many different game developers also at the time working on uh, different adventure games different developers uh, implemented their own engines to do things and of course scum is the the most famous one because it's the one that uh, ron gilbert at lucasarts created at the time and so basically all of lucasarts adventures at the, at the time uh, ran this com engine in one in one version or the other but also agi or sci by sierra was very popular so you had all these games that were all implemented using the same engine but they were actually different games jasper is a very good example as well which is the engine that powered flight of the amazon queen and so on and so forth so it was basically different approaches and different iterations of the same thing if you will and as I was saying, SCAM is very much a, a very good example of that, mostly because it was also the way that I started approaching things. And when you start, for instance, studying a bit how SCAM works, it's really interesting to, uh, to find out uh, the different choices that they made to make it actually a flexible component to use to actually write different games, which is, uh, of course, a key component of such an engine. And a very good introduction to, to what's come works and in general, uh, how it can be very powerful as far as scripting is concerned, for instance, is in that link over there, which gave me a very interesting insight in, in how actually an engine is supposed to work. So that was very interesting to me as a starting point. And of course, I mean, uh, I learned even more when I started uh, listening to some presentations by Ron Gilbert, Ron Gilbert himself. He is one of the key authors of Scum in the first place. And so, for instance, at that video over there, he will give you a, a very interesting overview of how Scum was created, what problems it was trying to solve. And for instance, also some uh, insights on, on how the scripting worked. So, for instance, in the example that you see in this image here, it was showing how you could use... Uh, a simple script that was running in the background while the, the player was doing other things to, for instance, making a clock tick into, into the main room, for instance, which is which sounds like a simple and very trivial thing, but it's actually a very powerful thing when you start thinking about it, because it means that you can start adding things in the background that make the world that you are creating much more livelier rather than just responding to, uh, to user interactions, for instance. And that's why, I mean, when I started studying a bit how all these things worked, I decided to try and actually write my own point-and-click adventure game. And this is something that I have actually wanted to do for a really long time, because as I mentioned, since I was a kid, I had been playing these kind of adventure games, and since then I really wanted to write my own adventure game. And so, for instance, I found some examples from up to 15, some even 20 years ago, where I found some very basic snippets of how to try and create uh, backgrounds, how to make a character move, these sort of things, but they really didn't move uh, much So at the time. So it's really this summer that I decided to try and do something about it and how this project was really born. And the main point was that I really wanted to try and write something new from scratch, because if you are just interested in creating a new video game, 
there are really plenty of engines that you can use out there that are really excellent and most of them are also open source so for instance there's adventure game studio is very popular there are modules for both unity and godot that allow you to create point and click adventures as well and most of these engines are powering a lot of the commercial adventure games that you see out there but this is not something that i wanted to do so i didn't really just want to write a new game i wanted to learn how to create an engine to to create a game which is something different so i wanted to basically figure out what the requirements were uh, what i actually needed to implement at the lower level to do things how i could actually add the background how i could implement parallax how i could move things around this sort of thing so it's really the lower level stuff that i was interested in and if a game will come out of that even better because that will be even more rewarding for me but that's that's really not the main objective the engine was really my main focus here at the same time i also didn't want to just create a scum clone or re-implement scum because uh, there are existing implementation of the scum uh, virtual machine itself and scum vm comes to mind for instance but there's also ways uh, engines that allow you to use scum to create new games as well and my my main objective again was really trying to figure out the existing requirements so try to face the same problems that scum developers at the time had to to face when they wanted to create their own engine so how do i create something that is flexible enough that i can actually build something on top of that and that's really most of the fun for me and it's really been a lot of fun for me and if you're wondering about the name the, the name is actually comes from a very silly thing so Basically, I called it Kyavk because it's basically a, a very rough Neapolitan translation of, of the word scum in English, basically. And for instance, this is, uh, this is a picture that I found online that's, that explains that Nakyavka, Akyavka, for instance, is basically uh, exactly something, a, a close enough translation of sewer, but it's usually also used as an object adjective or, or ways to describe people, situations and so on that are a bit, let's say, underwhelming at the very least and so that's why uh, i thought it was a good fit for a, for something that tries to do something similar to scum but since i'm from naples from in the south of italy it made sense to use a neapolitan word instead which is how chiavico came to uh, to mind and basically i create i shared all these as an open source project and so all the development is also happening in the open source world and specifically with an mit license so very uh, very flexible and free and it's also available on github right now if you want to have a look uh, have a look at it and i'm also even though there i haven't worked a lot on documentation so far because it's very much in a flux and i'm changing a lot of things uh, while I actually work on them, I've been documented basically all, all of my effort in, a, in what I hope is a very active dev blog as well. So I created a blog on WordPress and there you can find, for instance, the link to, to the introduction post that I wrote. So I've been trying to publish on a more or less regular basis very detailed bl the blog posts about different aspects of the platform. So for instance, this blog post was about uh, introducing Kiavik in general, so what it was trying to solve a bit from a very very high level, the architecture that I chose, the different choices that I made, and these sort of things. But you'll also find, for instance, blog posts on how I addressed pathfinding, or how I implemented dialogue trees, or how Lua use, is used, or how the architecture works. These sort of things, and the idea is to keep on on doing that because not only I hope that it will help other people, basically 
delve into Kiavik and understand a bit better how things work. But it's also helpful for me to basically write things down and basically understand the process a bit better after I've actually gone through the whole process, which has been, which has been very helpful for me and I hope it will be for others too. And of course, before starting, I did a lot of homework. So for instance, I shared a couple of links already about, for instance, the very quick introduction to Scam and the video from Ron Gilbert about how Scam worked and so on. But there's been really a ton of material that I've gone through in order to try and understand things a bit better. So for instance, there, the Scam tutorial link that you see over there is actually a, a good chunk of the original Scam documentation that was used to train Scam developers at LucasArts. And so it gives a very good insight in how Scam tried to address some specific problems because it addresses, for instance, some specific edge cases. It tells, for instance, of how to, they add, and I found this very interesting, how they had to add a configurable flip uh, property for the up and down animations of, uh, of the main characters for Loom, for instance, because when you are at the, at the pier in Loom and you're actually working, working up, the animation is actually as if it was, uh, the main character is working down. And that's because he's actually going up something, even if he's actually moving towards the top. So. All things that sound a bit counterintuitive, but are actually very interesting when you start de delving into them. There's also, of course, also the Timbleweed Park blog post was very, very insightful. So I really loved reading through them all. So for instance, Timbleweed Park, if you're not aware of it, is another very good adventure game that Ron Gilbert wrote a few years ago. And as part of the Kickstarter project, uh, since the, the project was crowdfunded at the time, he basically went and documented a lot of the creative process behind writing a new engine because he did write a new engine just for the game rather than reusing, for instance, Scum. And so it was very interesting to see his, his reasoning and his motivations behind how to handle pathfinding, how to handle dialogue trees, how to handle uh, alpha movements, these sort of things. So all things that really helped me understand things a bit made better from a game developer perspective. So rather than just from a player perspective, where we often give some things for granted that really aren't when, when you start working at them from behind the curtains. Another very interesting blog post that I really loved was the making of Flight of the Amazon Queen by John Passfield, which was really an amazing insight in how they actually brought their own engine. And besides, besides, it was very interesting also because they were trying to do at the time what I am trying to do right now. So they also loved uh, LucasArts adventure games. And so they tried to create an engine that basically mimicked or at least did some things a bit similar to that. And so it, it gave me a lot of you know, interesting insights about their creative process in that sense. It gave me a lot of interesting insight, for instance, in how they use walk boxes for pathfinding for for automated scaling and these sort of things. It was, it's really a very, very useful read that I definitely encourage to do. And last but not least, there's also the Global Shoot blog, uh, blog. And this is by a couple of developers that were also trying to do something that, like that I was doing. So creating a new point and click adventure engine from scratch. And they also documented the whole process very much in detail. They were not using the same uh, resources or languages that I was using because they were using a language that I'm not familiar with, but still a lot of the things and insights that they had was really very helpful. I don't think they ever finished the engine, which is a pity, but uh, they did share a lot of information, for instance, about how they did pathfinding, how they did a lot of different things in the engine that I really learned a lot from. And so if you are curious about these sort of things, I also encourage you to have a look at that too. 
And coming to how I actually implemented all this, I basically chose to use C as a language for the main engine, mostly because it's language, the language that I use myself every day for work. And so it's the one that I'm most familiar with. And Lua for scripting instead, again, because it's the... It's, it's what looks like it's really the most commonly used language in the gaming world. And so it made sense for me to use that. And besides, I also had a bit of experience with Lua for some work-related aspects too. And it does have a few dependencies, not many, uh, not too many, I hope. So first of all, I use SDL2 for all the low-level management of devices, rendering and that sort of stuff. And so it allows me to access devices, the take care of rendering, playing audio and video files and stuff like this, uh, just using C, the C language. And, and so I, I thought it made a lot of sense also because, again, SDL2 is used in a lot of uh, gaming-related projects. So it's it's a very mature and very well-known project. I do use some extensions for, for my, to make my life easier, like SDL Image, SDL Mixer, and SDL TTF to handle image, audio, and fonts a bit more easily. Then I also added uh, a dependency on Glib too, mostly because uh, I was too lazy to re-implement hash tables myself, and I love how I, how easy hash tables are to use in in Glib itself. And besides, Glib does provide a few other utilities that are very helpful for C developers. And since it's not really that big of a dependency, and it's actually a dependency for some, for I think for SDL TTF already, it made a lot of sense to to incorporate it as well. And of course, I had to 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 add the dependency for Lua as well because again, I'm using Lua for scripting, and so I needed something to embed a, a Lua virtual machine inside my own engine to actually be able to use it. And again, just to reiterate things, uh, the core implements all the heavy lifting, so it allows you to register different resources, the different assets that you want to have. It handles input rendering, playback. It, it implements the actual pathfinding stuff, these sort of things. And I chose explicitly to make it single-threaded, mostly to, to avoid all the headaches that multi-threading may have in that regard, risk conditions and these sort of things. And also because, as from what I've read, it's, it's not that uncommon to actually have games be single-threaded with an event loop that takes care of everything. And I hope that it won't be it won't bite me in the in the back in the future, especially when you are in when when we work with let's say higher higher quality resources and so on. But so far it's in, it seems to to have been working nicely, and it's it's single thread, but with the exception of audio that is still a separate thread, mostly because of how SDL Mixer works uh, with audio, and also because I sometimes need to know when an audio file has stopped playing. And that event does indeed come from a separate thread. So that part does need to have some uh, multi-threaded level management. But apart from this, it's really everything else is indeed single-threaded with a loop that goes through the through the usual uh, gather events, update the world, render stuff loop that all games are worked uh, worked around basically. And as, as anticipated, I, all the game logic is actually implemented in Lua scripts, which means that if you launch Kiavik by itself, it will be it will do nothing because it doesn't know what to do. If you want to tell, it's up to you to tell it what it needs to do and what to show and when and these sort of things using Lua scripts. And basically, I decided to uh, create also some helper libraries in Lua to make things easier. So with some classes and stuff like this that allow you to. 
to create rooms, to create to add actors, to move them around, to choose what they have to do, and these other things. And again, I'll show a couple of examples in a minute when we have a look at the at the actual code. And uh, really, the architecture can looks a bit like this. And this is a, a slide that I that is an image that I borrowed from the global shoot blog post that I was mentioning before. Also because it was indeed similar to, to how I was doing things. So uh, you have the uh, something that takes care of all the interactions with the hardware, which in this case is SDL for me. You have the engine that is implemented as a Lua state machine, and then you have the scripts that actually uh, allow you to interact with, with the engine. And this means bidirectional interaction, of course, because the, the Lua scripts can ask the engine to do things but the engine may also notify the scripts about things that happen. And I'll see why that's important in a minute, mostly because uh, all, all Lua functions that I've added are pretty much asynchronous. So you, you ask the engine to do something and then the function returns right away. So if you need to know when that something has been done, for instance, because you need things to happen in a certain sequence, uh, you need the engine to tell you when some things have happened in order to do things. And this allows for a very effective bidirectional communication that allows you to implement an important logic. And of course, everything works from the assumption that there are assets that you can use uh, as part of your game logic, which in my context, I'm calling basically resources that you can register. And typically it works where with the approach that it's the Lua script that tells the engine about the resources that will be needed in the game. So for instance, it can tell us about the, the graphic files that will be needed. And in, in my case, I'm, I'm considering animations and images the, sa the same way, basically, where an image is an animation of a single frame. We can have audio files that can be handled as music tracks or sound effects. We have fonts that for the moment, true type fonts only. I'm not implement I have not implemented bitmap fonts yet. I have the concept of rooms, which is something that I did actually borrow from Scum. So a room is basically a scenario where something is happening. So it's not necessarily a, a, a physical room, but it may be, uh, a, for instance, somewhere in the jungle, or it can be outside of a temple, or it can also be not a physical place at all. It can be, for instance, displaying the contents of something displaying the contents of a trunk or displaying a ladder or these sort of things. It's basically the main scenario where something is happening. And so a different perspective on things. And on top of room, of course, I added the ability to add different layers for parallax effect, for instance, or to show something in the foreground, uh, ways to actually implement pathfinding so that you know where the character can work on the screen rather than just everywhere, every pixel that they see, these sort of things. There's the concept of actors, which again is something that I borrowed from Scum, where an actor is basically either the main character or an NPC, or, an NPC uh, or, or a dog walking around. So basically anything that you can actually interact with uh, as another entity, basically. There's also costumes that are related to actors, but are separate things for a specific choice. So they are basically a set of animations that you can assign to an actor. So for instance, the animations to use when the character is walking, is sitting still in four different directions or where, when they are working or when they are talking, when they are picking things, all, all of these animations can be structured in a specific custom. And, and this is again a choice that I took from Scam. So I chose to have costumes separated from actors because you can decide, for instance, to reuse the same custom for different actors, which is, for instance, something that uh, the first Indiana Jones games 
by LucasArts did a lot because, for instance, they implemented the costume for Nazi guards only once, and then they reused the same costume for multiple Nazi guards on screen at the same time, for instance. Sometimes also doing some color shifting to have them display some different colors, but that was really it. And and did did make a lot of sense to me, so I chose to actually uh, do this as well. Of course, I added the concept of objects as well, and in this case, I decided to do it, things a bit more differently because Basically, for me, an object is both an interactable object, so something that you see on screen and that you can either pick up or that you can just interact with or so on, but I also use object as simple props. So, for instance, if there is something that needs to be in front of, of a character or, for instance, always in the foreground, I use objects also for UI purposes. So, for instance, in the demo, I'll show how I use it for the inventory as well. And when an object is part of the UI, it means that it doesn't follow the scrolling of the room, for instance, it's always sitting there. You can also interact uh, with it and so on. And the idea of making these objects a bit more flexible and more generic was that the, the main idea is to be able to use these objects to build different aspects of an adventure games as well. For instance, uh, a menu game of source could be built as a set of objects that you show on screen. Uh, a verb interface could be implemented with objects as well. So this is the main idea, not something that I've already invested a lot of time in, but really the main motivation for implementing them like that. Finally, there's also the concept of cursors, and specifically, I uh, I hard-coded the engine so that you can have two different types of cursors. You have a different, a specific cursor for when you move the, the mouse around the screen and a specific cursor for when the the mouse is hovering over an object that you can interact with. In the future, this may be a bit more uh, complex than that, but for the moment, it seems to be working nicely because it allows the engine to automatically switch from one cursor to the other using a contextual uh, contextual information. And the idea again is that the Lua logic provides information about all of these resources and then using these resources, all of which have specific IDs, it can map these resources together, it can tell the engine to do something with a specific resource and, and so on and so forth. And of course scripting is very important in that sense because it's what makes everything happen and well, make everything happen. And just to give a quick example, this is, for instance, an example of uh, the intro script. So the first thing that happens when you open, uh, when you launch the game, after, of course, some initialization has happened. And this is a very simple function that basically implements a cutscene. So it, it, first of all, tells the engine that it needs to start a, the cutscene mode, which means disabling input and a few other things. It, it fades in uh, the main video, and then it has the actor work to a specific coordinates it asks the end, the, uh, it, it, the script waits for that action to, to complete because, as I mentioned before, all functions are asynchronous. The main idea in this function is that I have the actor work somewhere, look right, look left, look right again, and then say something. That's the main idea. So there are things that I want to do in sequence, but if I want to actually do them in sequence, since all of those functions are asynchronous, I need to wait for those uh, actions to, to be complete before I do something. Because if I just put them one after the other, everything will happen so quickly that I, I will not be able to see anything at all. And so, for instance, the wait for activeactor.id there means that after I, I've told the engine to work the actor to some specific coordinates in the room, I'm waiting for the engine to tell me that that has happened. 
And after that has happened, I wait a bit. I move the the actor. Uh, I I move the actor in the right direction, which means that the animation that will be displayed is is, is as if the actor is looking at this right. Then I wait some more. I look left. I wait some more. I look right. And then I I say something. And again, I wait for the text to be over before stopping the cutscene. And this basically already gives you a quick overview of how powerful the the scripting here is because. Basically, it allows me to basically actually script uh, a, a sequence, a cutscene for for narrative purposes, just via some very simple lines. And if you're wondering why I've added these separate functions for wait for things to happen rather than making the function synchronous, this is really to make it as flexible as possible. Because in this specific case, I want things to happen in sequence, but in other cases, I may want, for instance, to have five different characters work in different directions at the same time which means that i need to be able to uh, to call all those walk to commands in sequence without waiting for the first character to have reached their destination for instance having separate functions for the action and for waiting for the action to be over basically gives you all the all the instruments to do it to do whatever you need to be either something that is more sequential or parallel these sort of things and when it comes to more, some more specific functionality that, that I'm really uh, proud to have implemented so far, there's, for instance, pathfinding. So pathfinding is a bit rudimentary right now, but it is indeed one of the most uh, fundamental uh, features to have in an adventure game, mostly because when you show something, of course, uh, you, you are not allowed as a, as a main character to work every, in every point that you see on the screen. There are some specific parts where you are supposed to be able to work. And of course, since this is all dynamic and you don't know in advance where people will click, you need to be able to, uh, to find dynamic ways to actually move a character from point A to point B. And so to figure out what the right path is to move from one point to the other, especially considering that this part may not be connected, there may be holes, there may be other things around and so on and so forth. And I actually implemented this using uh, very basic walk boxes that are rectangular in shape. So you, you create several rectangles where you want the, uh, the character to be able to walk. And if rectangles are connected to each other, that means that they can go from that rectangle to the other. And so pathfinding just needs to find the path across these rectangles to go from where you want, from where you are, from where, from to where you want to go. And I also use these pathfinding work boxes to, to my advantage for a few different things. And again, this is something that I learned from both Timberweed Park and the flight of the Amazon Queen blog post. So for instance, I can use work boxes to also associate a specific scaling factor to, uh, to a character. So for instance, uh, the hopper I go on the street, I can make the character become smaller using a different scale factor. I can modify the speed of the character as well, associating them to a specific wall box so that the farther they are, the slower they move because they are more in the distance, let's say. And I also added something that are called walkbox triggers. So basically uh, the ability to add the callback function anytime you go on a specific wall box, which is again something that can be very powerful when you're actually writing an adventure game because for instance, it means that when you walk on a specific walk box, something needs to happen. And so, for instance, you may have a walk box where you have a bouncer that doesn't allow you to go through unless you actually solve a specific, uh, a specific puzzle, even though the pathfinding tells you that you could go beyond that point, for instance. So 
quite a powerful feature that I'll show uh, in a minute in a small demo as well. And uh, it was also very fun to implement diagonal puzzles or diagonal trees, as they are usually called. So basically the ability to create dynamic conversations where you have different options that open different options and to, that open even more different options and so on and so forth. And they are used a lot for humorous purpose or for narrative purpose or even for solving puzzles. For instance, you only solve a puzzle if you talk about a specific thing in the uh, in the conversation or maybe you unlock different things when you have a conversation and these sort of things and so i wanted to implement it something that was uh, very much dynamic first of all so that you could create these dialogue puzzles dynamically but that could also interact with the game state as well which means both being able to use the game state to either show or not show something for instance but also to, uh, to allow you to update the game state from a dialogue tree. For instance, as I was saying before, you talk about something, you uh, that unlocks something new because a specific conversation items, item unlocks the fact that you now know something, and so the fact that you now know something can be used somewhere else for a puzzle or for a different conversation, for instance. And again, this was uh, very complex to, to work on, but I think I found a relatively flexible way of handling things right now, and... Uh, something that can be definitely improved, but something that is uh, already quite powerful and I'm happy to have in there as well. And uh, if we have a look at uh, what's there, I mean, there's a lot of things. So before actually going through that list, I, I thought I'd show a quick demo of how the, the game works instead. And then uh, once we have a look at the game, also have a bit of a look at the code to to see what's actually powering it. So let's start the uh, the the demo right now. Basically, the de as you can see right now, this is the, the script that we've seen before. We've seen the character move from the top to a specific coordinates, look around and then say something. And that basically ended the introduction. But after this introduction, then I'm basically able to, to move around. This is pathfinding working. I can, uh, there's something happening in the background, so I can see some, some noise happening over here. There's another character that is uh, looking around and saying something independently of what I'm doing. There are some animations, there is scrolling happening, there's parallax happening. So there are a few things happening over here. Uh, there's also a bit of an... Uh, this is uh, how, for instance, the cursor changes when I'm hovering over something and when I'm not. I can look at things, I can interact a bit with things, this sort of uh, this sort of stuff. You can Here you can see, for instance, how I use the... Uh, the walk boxes for scaling the character up and down, how the speed of the character change, how the character goes up again, these sort of things. So really, really quite simple and flexible. So have, let's have a quick look at how the, uh, the code actually works in that sense. And first of all, uh, uh, let's have a quick look at how... Uh, at how things uh, work. So first of all, when you launch Kyavok, the first thing that is happen that happens when you actually, from a scripting perspective, is that you basically um, we we launch a specific script that is called main.lua. So main.lua is a script that you need to implement to actually get things started. And of course, the the engine will also automatically uh, create uh, its own things. So for instance, it will. 
uh, it will uh, automatically load its own classes but apart from this it will uh, it's all up to you so for instance the first thing that you may want to do is check whether or not the engine is the right version because you the engine may be a more updated version that's not compliant and in this case i'm using a, a an old version of doing this there's also a a pull request on janus uh, on sorry on Kyabuko from uh, from a very helpful user that has already started contributing some code that i have to integrate but then apart from this i'm 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 calling this function to load all the resources and we'll see what this means in a second but then i'm also telling for instance the engine the resolution of the game in this case i'm working with a, a low resolution canvas specifically 320 but by 180 i want 60 frames per second but I'm also telling the engine that I want this to be scaled by 4, which, which means that it will be like a 720p resolution instead. I set the title of the game, so this is what, this is what will appear in the, in, the window, uh, in the window title. Let's say there's a few other things that I can do. This is an example of how I'm loading a, a font, for instance, and I'm going to use it for the console that I'll show in a second as well. And this, for, uh, up to now, I've, I've, uh, I've only showed functions where the Lua script is actually calling the, the engine. But again, as I was saying, there's also times where the engine actually notifies the, uh, the Lua scripts about something. And this is something that can happen, for instance, with the own user input callback handler. So with the own user input, I'm basically asking the engine to tell me any time the user presses, for instance, one or two or three on the on the keyboard and when that happens i do something in response to that so for instance when i press one uh, on the main demo this basically tells the engine to use a scale factor of one which means that i'll see a tiny window instead if i use six i'm going to scale the the the, the, the resolution even more than i'm doing by default and this sort of things but I can also do some other interesting things, like for instance, using F to go in and out of full screen, or using F9 to to tell the engine to show me the debug of uh, the debugging of objects. So it basically shows some some borders around the objects that I can interact with for debugging purposes. I can enable and disable a basic scan lines effect that I've been working on as an attempt to implement some shading. I can debug work boxes, which is very uh, helpful to figure out whether or not the pathfinding is actually working as expected. I can save screenshots, these sort of things, and so on and so forth. And basically, before going further, let's also have a look at what it, what it means when I said, uh, let's load some resources. So first of all, I'm using this function that is called capcore require versus the regular Lua require, mostly because these files could actually be part of a of an asset file rather than be on the screen on um, on the file system instead and basically i created my own function to make this transparent to the script itself and so when i load resources i basically it means that i load another lua script which basically loads uh, all the assets that i need to have so for instance some more fonts the animations to use for the mouse the rooms that i want to use the objects that i want to have the actors these sort of things so when I load, for instance, a, a room, for instance, street.lua, there's even more things that I can do because, for instance, I can load the the images that I want to have for the for the background effect, including the different layers, for instance, the music that I want to use. And then using the uh, the helper classes that I created in Lua, I can basically 
automatically create a new room by just setting some properties and this will automatically invoke the, the related uh, engine functions to make that actually happen so for instance when i create a new room i can give this room an id i can tell which background image to use by giving the id of the image that i added before i can add uh, layers with the related z plane to tell uh, whether it is something that needs to to appear in the background on the foreground I can de describe the work boxes uh, that are basically those rectangles that we've seen before, uh, including possibly the scale factor, the speed, the name of the of the work box in case I want to have a trigger act on it. So, for instance, in the in the demo, I have uh, one of these work boxes on the far left that basically, when you work on it, it basically stops you unless you have done something. So, uh, let's. Let's see what this happening what this means in practice uh, with an example. So let's go back to the to the demo for a second. If, if I am right now, for instance, I can work pretty much everywhere, but let's also uh, open uh, the work boxes uh, for uh, for debugging. Uh, this is, for instance, shows how my pathfinding is calculating paths from one point to the other through these work boxes. And you can see that these work, these work boxes here, uh, I, I basically, had, uh, even though I could have had a simple work box that was up to the very far left, I have also some other work boxes over here. And this is because I'm using this specific work box as a trigger. So the moment that the participant stumbles over this my main function is involved and basically it stops me from going forward and in this case i'm basically using this this trigger to make sure that i basically show this ladder to the other character before i'm actually able to go to the temple so let's actually see uh this uh, working in practice for a second i'll just show this uh this ladder to the main character over here to this other npc This character is telling me that they they have no idea who I am and so on and so forth. It doesn't really matter. This basically changed the game state so that I can now go uh, through that trigger again because it means that I'll still fire that trigger in the work box, but it will not prevent me from going through. So it will allow me to go to a different room and basically do something. That's basically it. So very simple, nothing really fancy, but uh, again, something really powerful when you start working it from a, from a gaming perspective. And so, again, something that the it's made uh, it's made possible by the user usage of this stuff and so on and so forth. And of course, uh, when when you implement a room, some uh, it's also important to have code that is fired anytime that you enter a room and anytime that you leave a room. Mostly because you may want to have some things happen automatically when you enter a room. So, for instance, to set up, set things up. And this includes, for instance, where to put the main character when they get into a room. Because, for instance, uh, the main street that we've seen before has two different places that you can go from there. And so, if I go to the temple and go back to the main street, I'll have to appear on the main left. If I'm coming back from the other room, I need to appear on the right. And this needs to, to happen more or less automatically. And so this is something that you actually implement in this onEnter function over here. And besides, I've also added some scripts that appear automatically when you launch the room. So for instance, you, uh, and this is something that again we could see in this main room uh, over here. So if uh, you may have noticed that 
there were some noises appearing automatically over here and that the NPC is also uh, doing things automatically without me do basically telling them anything or interacting with them at all. And this is something that is actually happening in the in the browser basically. So uh, this is something that uh, I'm I'm basically scripting myself. So I I'm telling the room to start this script called noises to show uh, to show uh, to show something on a uh, basically in a loop. And I'm, they, I'm telling them to do the same for the NPC, so that basically in a loop I do something forever until until the room leaves. Because the fact that I'm using this uh, self-start script means that the moment that the room uh, that I leave the room, these scripts are automatically stopped because it would make no sense to to keep them there. And so this again uh, gives you um, quite a good deal of flexibility to show things automatically because it could show, for instance, some waves. If you are on a beach, it could show some clouds moving, these sort of things. So it, it can be very helpful to make the, the room a bit more alive. And for the on leave, there's, uh, there's less things that you need to do, but it can be useful, for instance, to create some fade-in, fade-out effect and these sort of things. And as part of the room setup, you can also create, for instance, some objects to, to show... Uh, to show on the screen so objects that you are not necessarily meant to pick up but are just there for props or are there uh, to allow you to interact for, with things so for instance there is the, the fire animation that we've seen before but also for instance the skyline so uh, for instance when we, are, when we were looking at the game over here uh, you could see for instance that there is a restaurant or there is uh, the skyline over here these sort of things these are all objects that I can interact with but they, are, they don't have a specific animation or image associated with them. They just have coordinates that allow me to interact with them so that I can, for instance, look at them or, or, or try to use them, these sort of things. So nothing fancy, but again, something that can, uh, can really... Sorry, wrong, wrong item. That can be really useful to, um, uh, to add some color to, to your game as well. And of course, uh, there's not only rooms, there's also actors that you want, they may want to have. And basically, I created a couple of different actors, specifically a detective and an NPC. And as I was saying before, I, I created costumes and actors in different ways. So for instance, I, this is how I set up the costume for the main detective so that I can basically specify all the different images and animation that the engine needs to automatically use when the actor is standing still, when they are moving around, when they are picking things up, these sort of things. And this becomes basically a description of a specific custom. And then, as you may have seen uh, in, the, in the demo over here, basically both characters are actually using the same custom. So I'm, I basically created two different actors. This is the detective and this is the NPC but I'm actually using the same custom for both of them, which is, again, a good example of how to actually, uh, how to actually basically reuse resources in an effective way so that you don't need to, to actually duplicate the same assets over and over if you know that you are, are going to use the same ones and these sort of things. And creating actors really is, is only slightly different if you're creating a main actor versus uh, NPC characters, because basically a main actor just requires you to provide a limited set of information. For instance, the font to use when they talk, the text of the, the color to use when, uh, when they talk as well, and so on and so forth. 
for a, for an npc instead you also need to provide some additional information so for instance how to interact with them uh, the the verbs that you can actually use to interact with them so with this npc for instance i can talk to them i can try to give them some objects and this sort of stuff so and for instance the this script also contains the dialogue tree that i implemented to actually talk to them so to actually have a conversation so uh, this again allows you to to script different things in a very effective way and things become uh, are also quite interesting when you start having a look at the different objects that you can interact with so for instance in one of the other screens there is a skull that you can pick up and use with different things or try to interact with and again objects need need a few uh, a few assets if you want to actually display on the screen but apart from this you can specify for instance how you can interact with them by providing the different verbs what needs to happen when you invoke those specific verbs uh, where you need to place them on the screen so for instance this skull is in the outskirts room and these specific coordinates uh, how uh, which other objects they are allowed to be to be used with this sort of things so again this is uh this sounds a bit complex and convoluted but it's actually quite uh, quite uh, easy and flexible when you start dealing with uh, with all of these things and so without bothering you too much with uh, with with further details also because this is uh coming coming much longer than i hoped it would be initially basically the the game the the engine does have uh, a lot of stuff already so for instance i mentioned how uh, we've seen how you can use different resolutions frame rates icons and these sort of things how we can make the scaling dynamic as well how we can use full screen optionally scan lines uh, how we can use both the mouse and the keyboard to interact with the game how we can use both static and uh, animated images fade in fade out you can also fade in and fade out the characters uh, you can render text in different ways for dialogue purposes for to show things around so for instance the the noises that were appearing dynamically on the screen before uh, we can use music files you can use sound effects dynamic cursors i have a lot of different concepts zeta planes for instance for scrolling and parallax these sort of things there is some basic pathfinding with trigger scaling that sort of stuff there is there is dialogue puzzles there are a lot of background scripts that can work together and at the same time while you are moving around doing things. There's also some basic support for localization that I haven't showed here, but that I plan to write a blog post for in the future. And we also have some basic support for game assets because uh, in most cases, for instance, especially when you release a game, you will not want to have the game assets to just be on the file system. You may just want to have a single big file that is what you distribute and then the engine... Uh, finds the right files within that big file and that's what I call the bag file in my case so I started working on how to actually work with this structured approach uh, there at the same time there's also a lot of stuff that is not there and uh, of course most of it is also things that could actually be improved in the existing features so and this applies to both the engine itself and the Lua helpers and more in general I assume that most of the new features will actually come from actual requirements because uh, that's basically how it happened for the features that are in the engine today so i was working on the demo i thought about uh, so how can i do this if i want to implement this kind of feature in the demo and that's basically 
if I couldn't do it with the existing scripting, I would add new functions that would basically allow me to implement this. And so I assume that a lot of other features will actually come from these sort of requirements. So when I start trying to do new things or when people tell me they would try to do a specific feature in the game and they are not able to do it with the available items that, that are there. But at the same time, there's also some more major things that I feel are missing. And first of all, I think the the, the work boxes could be more could be made more flexible because at the time they are just some ve some very basic rectangles that you have to put together and connect. And at the very least, I want to make them four point polygons of different shapes, which is uh, how Scum worked with them, for instance. Mostly because it would make it easier, for instance, to have diagonal work boxes. Uh, which at the moment would require me to create a ton of uh, small rectangles to, that are connected with each other. So something that is really not as flexible as it should be. I don't have any support for save games as well. And this is also because I haven't figured out yet whether it makes more sense to implement these more from the Lua side of things or more the, the engine side of things. It can be probably in a bit of both. I'll have to think about it a bit more. Tooling is also something that is definitely missing because basically everything that you've seen so far are written manually. So even the work boxes, so uh, the different rectangles that need to be used for, for pathfinding purposes are basically manually coordinates, manual coordinates written manually in a Lua script. So that can be very cumbersome when you, when you are working with a background image and you need to figure out exactly which credentials they are. It's a very slow process so being able to have some sort of a visual application where you just draw the work boxes that you want to have and that is translated to the to the files that the Lua script will, will use is something that would be much better of course and tooling is indeed something that uh, scum was really great with so they had a lot of excellent tools that allowed them to to to, to create the dynamic parts of their game in a much more flexible way in a way that was separate from the scripting itself I'm also planning to add some modularity via some, some plugins. So basically I would like to have some a modular approach when you can add a DLL or a shared object to, to the engine and the engine basically loads this shared object and adds new functions that are not part of the main engine itself. And this could be useful for different purposes because for instance, it could be used to, to implement, I don't know, a, a Steam integration, for instance, to allow to... Uh, to fire events about achievements and this sort of stuff without having them to be hard-coded in the engine itself or even other things. So, for instance, the ability to uh, to further shape what is appearing on the screen and so on. And this is an idea that mostly came because most of the engines seem to use this. For instance, AGS has a lot of different plugins that, uh, that different people contributed. And so... Uh, it, it could open the door to different contributions without people having to know too much about how the engine works, which may be too complex to work on. And more in general, it would be helpful to also have a, a better build system because at the moment it's really just a dump make file where I can build uh, a Linux executable and apparently a Mac, Mac, Mac OS executable as well if you run that from a, from a Mac and uh, a Windows executable using uh, cross-compilation via MingW. But that's really all, uh, all there is. So something that is a bit more fancy and a bit more complex and can handle 
some edge cases a bit more differently and possibly also target cross compilation a bit more transparently would indeed be welcome but this this is probably something that can wait for much um, it's not really that important right now but it's something that might be helpful to have but of course if i have to think about something that is really missing is probably users because uh, right now uh, i have been writing all of this for me because it's something that i created uh, uh, as a way for me to learn new things and again to possibly write a game in the future but i would still love if other people found it usable as well, useful as well and if so if they started tinkering with it a bit if they started to, to try and create some games out of it or some small demos or even try and contribute stuff and about this i mean a special uh, mention to andras nemet uh, who is the first user that actually showed a, a, a real interest in the engine so far and he has already contributed some code uh, and some some of which hasn't been merged yet but i plan to get back to it soon and so again a really really big kudos to him because he really didn't have to and he showed that maybe i was indeed creating something that wasn't useful to to me alone and that's basically it so uh, again i probably talked way way much more than i hoped uh, i would do because i hope that this would be a short 30 minutes presentation it, it basically went up to about an hour but again i hope this gave you a a good overview and introduction on the project and it will basically encourage you to uh, to try and uh, have a look at things yourself so uh, specifically there are some links over there that you can have a look at so of course there's the repository where you can find the code there's the blog post that I encourage you to have a look at if you want to to just ch do a deeper dive about all of the things that I that I briefly touched in this presentation over here but of course if you want to get in touch with me there's different ways to do that I'm very active on Mastodon for instance so you can find me on Fostodon specifically I created a Mastodon account for Kiavuk as well where I'll try to, to basically share some some more information about the development process as it happens and I'm also still available on Twitter if you're only there but again I'm mostly active on Mastodon right now but you can find me there as well and that's basically it so I hope that this was uh, interesting and not too bothersome so if you managed to watch the whole hour of the presentation kudos to you and this is basically it so uh, i look forward to some feedback if you have any so either as a comment behind this video or via socials or just get in touch with me I'd, I'd really love to hear more from people especially if they are interested in the project if you think it makes sense if you have ideas for new features that may be added if you notice that there's anything specific missing i would really love to know and that's basically it so i i hope that i'll see you around and if you are in Fosdem in brussels uh, next week see you there as well bye